our young people have said in, in the hearings that ethnic studies saved their lives, literally saved their lives in a country where they're otherwise disenfranchised, invisibilized, hypervisibilized, showing them as criminals or, um, or enemy combatants. Hello and welcome to this episode of Who Belongs, a podcast from the ONB Institute at UC Berkeley. I'm Mark Abizade here with co-host Irfan Maradi. In this episode, we speak with Laura Kasvani, Executive Director of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center based in San Francisco, and Teresa Montano, Professor of Chicana and Chicano Studies at California State University, Northridge, to discuss the efforts to develop an ethnic studies curriculum in California. On September 30th, California Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed Assembly Bill 331, which would have made ethnic studies a high school graduation requirement across the state. For more than a year, Professor Montano has been part of an advisory committee tasked with drafting a model curriculum based on the anti-racist principles of ethnic studies. The curriculum provides sample lesson topics on things like housing segregation, Central American immigration, Filipino labor organizing, and indigenous struggles over land, just to name a few. Lara Kiswani's organization, AROC, is part of the coalition promoting the inclusion of lessons related to the experiences of Arab Americans. Our guests help us understand why ethnic studies is needed, why the bill was vetoed, and what comes next. Here was our conversation. So we want to get into like the significance, like just more generally about ethnic studies, about its importance in high school curriculum or K through 12 curriculum. But before like before we get into that, we just kind of wanted to address this big shocker. I think it was shocked a lot of people who thought that this was really like the moment for something like this to pass, um, like considering all you know, the momentum that was carried over the last few months after George Floyd was killed and the hunger for people to learn more about um, race and social structures and all of these dynamics. Um, and so I think a lot of people were just like shocked when the governor vetoed the ethnic studies bill. So the first question is really, I guess, to both of you, maybe we can start with Professor Montano. Um, um, like, how do you explain what happened? Well, uh, the way I explained what happened is I, I was just as shocked. Um, but by the time the um, bill got to the governor, it had been um, so gutted um, from what it originally was, which included a funding for the implementation of ethnic studies, which was uh, considered to be a focus on the traditional ethnic studies disciplines, which was considered to be um, needed in order to implement the model curriculum that was being developed by the State Department and that was advocating for a, a standalone ethnic studies graduation requirement. By the time it got to the governor, it had been gutted and there had been additional language, quote unquote, safeguard language that was uh, a compromise to, um, to many conservative right wing, um, uh, some of the uh, you know, uh, Jewish legislative caucus um, including 80 groups who had lobbied against it, um, many of those who felt that they should be included in the curriculum. And so while many of us were troubled by what it had become, the reasons given by the governor for vetoing it was um, a kick in the stomach. I mean, it was like, it, to me, it was, um, it was um, acquiescing to those forces in the community that did not understand 
the need and reason and for who ethnic studies was really written for and much more of uh, um, acquiescing to like this multicultural kind of, you know, um, uh, global lens of kumbaya um, uh, curriculum, for lack of a better way of saying it. And so that, that reason that he gave was that it wasn't inclusive enough. Right, right. So, Laura, can we get your perspective on, on that veto? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, like that, as I said, we were all pretty shocked that that happened, given that the pro-Israeli interest groups that were changing the curriculum altogether and the graduation requirement of ethnic studies had been celebrating the fact that they were able to, to include some guardrails um, in the bill that would essentially address the concerns they had. Um, and so for the governor to then veto it, it was very clear from the statement that he put out that it was specific, um, specifically hinged on the idea that the ethnic studies model curriculum, um, which is what we've been fighting with for, for the last year now, um, was what was quote unquote controversial and concerning. And what was controversial was the fact that it was, we were centering the values and principles of ethnic studies, which is anti-racism, anti-colonialism. Um, in addition to that, the inclusion of Arab American studies. That was really what was the problem for the pro-Israeli interest groups. And that led to the governor vetoing the entire bill. I think, you know, given that Trump had just um, implemented an executive order against anti-racist lessons and curriculum across the country and trainings across the country for Governor Newsom to then veto a bill on ethnic studies in California um, was very troubling for us. So the bill, uh, there were several revisions to it. And, you know, as Professor Montano explained, it had been gutted by the time it even got to his desk. So I'm wondering um, what was still included in even this like gutted version of the bill that was so contentious about Arab Americans particularly? I don't think any of the groups were named in the bill. It's not like the AB 1460, which was the CSU bill, did list the um, groups that comprised ethnic studies. By the time it got to the governor, it was simply um, a symbolic gesture that uh, ethnic studies needed to be included in the K-12 curriculum. It gave a number of ways, including um, some uh, language about uh, embedding it into existing curriculum, which would have removed the standalone course. Um, so by the time it got to him, it was it was very very weak, um, and nothing more than a symbolic gesture. Uh, most of the things are still happening on a local level, um, but it wasn't it wasn't strong at all. Yeah, I mean, what issue was for them with the bill wasn't the, the requirement itself. It was the curriculum that would have been attached to that requirement, which is the ethnic studies model curriculum. And that for Arab American lessons were included. And that's where the ethnic studies discipline and its integrity was also reflected. And I think what it comes down to are these interest groups are more interested in redefining ethnic studies. And that is really what's put to question now, who gets to define ethnic studies? Um, and Governor Newsom obviously is aligning himself in his office with those who believe that, you know, folks who are not communities of color, not ethnic studies practitioners, um, people without a history or background in the discipline or the field, or have, but have political power, um, are the ones to define what ethnic studies is in this moment. Can you two tell us a little bit about what the sort of thrust and, and vision of ethnic studies is and how this was m reflected in the model curriculum? 
how is it reflected in the original model curriculum? Absolutely. I think whenever um, I uh, talk about ethnic studies, I always say that there's critical points to ethnic studies um, and, and definitely within the state of California, even more pronounced because of the fact that ethnic studies rose from um, political struggle. It rose from um, you know, Black, uh, Chicano, Latino, Indigenous students at uh, San Francisco State and elsewhere arguing for a curriculum that reflected their realities, both their historical and contemporary social political realities. Um, that lends itself to two things in an ethnic studies curriculum. One, you center race at the middle of the curriculum. It has to be anti-racist and it has to address the needs of racialized communities of color. Two, it's a decolonial project um, connected to a more global struggle against colonialism. Those and their self-determination. So that those of us who um, are, are demanding this curriculum be developed should be the ones to define what that curriculum is. It's basically saying you have excluded us from the curriculum for over 500 years. Now it is our turn to tell the truth about who our people are, what our people did, and it is an, an intended to address no longer the minority of this state of California, but the 76% of students who represent those racialized communities. And that includes Arab American studies. So, you know, one of the things I'm still trying to figure out is that even in this last version, you know, you saw that a lot, like the Jewish caucus was on board with it. You know, the Anti-Defamation League, which is, you know, not a progressive group by any standards was on board with it. But there were still some like fringe elements that opposed it. So I can't even figure out why even they had enough pressure to to convince Newsom to veto to veto the bill. I don't think they're actually fringe groups. Um, so the Jewish Community Relations Council of Northern California was quoted as celebrating Newsom's veto. Um, and that's definitely not a fringe group, right? So I think there has been some attempt to, to sort of separate different groups out from this decision and who was opposed and who wasn't opposed to the, and to the guardrails that were put forth in the AB331 bill. Um, but ultimately, it's clear to us there's a coalescing of not only pro-Israeli interest groups um, and the Jewish caucus, but also other right-wing forces who have a concern with ethnic studies, period. They're not invested in ethnic studies. They, don't, they, they actually aren't at the receiving end of racialization and oppression, um, and they have a vested interest in challenging it everywhere, everywhere that there's a, where there's an advancing of the discipline itself. So that's really what we're seeing, because like you said, it was confusing at the time when we knew that they had put these really flawed guardrails up in, into the bill to begin with, which disappointed all the folks who fought for this, to, you know, from the start. And yet they still ended up vetoing it. And we have to sort of dig up some research and understand who was behind this veto. And ultimately, you have the JCRC's representatives, JPAC representatives, Jewish Federation representatives celebrating this veto. And that tells us that it's not just a bunch of fringe groups. It's actually the, the center really advancing their their interests in challenging ethnic studies. That's really what this is about. It's not, you know, for us, the attack on Arab American studies, the attack on Palestine as part of that Arab American studies lesson plans 
um, is actually an attack on ethnic studies. That's really how we understand it, given the tenets of ethnic studies that Sarefa so eloquently laid out. We also, I don't think, can miss this like larger national context about what's happening uh, with Trump, you know, clamping down on diversity training. Um, you know, he had his whole like spiel on critical race theory, and he also attacked school curricula, uh, which he called unpatriotic, and you know, was talking about how it shows you know the racist foundations of you know that the country was built upon and stuff like that. And then he even, you probably know. Um, announced that he was forming what he called the 1776 Commission, I guess, as like a response to the 1619 project, which is being used in some school curricula. So I was wondering if either of you could speak about, you know, about what's happening in California with the veto um, in kind of the national context, if you see uh, connections there. I do see it as um, as kind of a dichotomy, because on the one hand, um, President Trump um, and his administration's attack on things like critical race theory and um, the 1619 project, definitely um, as we address the need for ethnic studies as an anti-racist project, does um, validate the fact that you cannot, um, you cannot dismiss or pretend that racism doesn't exist when it comes from the highest office in the nation. So it gives us um, some... Um, some um, discourse that we can use in promoting ethnic studies and to showing the need for ethnic studies within the state. On the other hand, it emboldens those forces that um, that Laura was talking about that we actually see now moving into districts and um, into uh, universities beginning to say, um, I, I, I see universities throughout this nation now looking at their curriculum and saying, okay, well, how do we define which, is the, which are the um, tenets that the, that the president says we can't do and which are the more softer kind of, like I said earlier, like kumbaya tenets of diversity? What can we teach? What can't we teach? And so in other states, I really do think there's going to be a clampdown on the movement for ethnic studies. In our state, I do think it is going to embolden those forces who are against ethnic studies and make us um, all the more um, all the more conscious and um, guarded and um, and uh, but as well as being stronger advocates because it is going to have a definite impact on our work. Yeah, I also think you can't separate out Gavin Newsom's veto from what we are seeing on a national level. It would have meant something, it would have sent a message had the governor of California, after Trump comes out with an executive order against diversity training, um, comes out and says, we are actually going to mandate ethnic studies for high schoolers across the state of California. And instead, he vetoed the bill. So in, in essence, aligning with the, Trump's agenda. And that's not what California historically or even in current times has generally done. That's not the direction it's been going in. And so I think it is quite concerning for um, educators across the country, for youth and students across the country who are now going to be tasked with figuring out how to navigate the fact that the state has vetoed the bill, which has emboldened, as Teresa said, the right, right-wing right groups and forces 
um, that are against ethnic studies, but also this is going to be weaponized against teachers. It's going to be weaponized against academics. It's going to be weaponized against all of those who are teaching ethnic studies. You know, I teach in the, um, the College of Ethnic Studies at San Francisco State University. We pride ourselves on being able to really talk about critical issues and about colonialism and racism in this country and, and have our students come out thinking critically about them so that they can actually be agents of change. And if this is now going to be weaponized against college students, against high school students, where it becomes, um, you know, concerning or controversial, or even to some, in some cases, and this is something we've been keeping our eye on, is how would this actually be used against teachers and to, you know, be criminalized for teaching ethnic studies, let alone Palestine or Arab American studies in the classroom. So, you know, I had a question for Professor Montano, um, you know, as an advisor to the committee and as someone who's, you know, clearly very passionate about the curriculum is, you know, maybe I think a lot of outside observers may not be aware that, you know, inside academic spaces and activist spaces, when, um, you know, issues around Arabs or particularly Palestinians get brought up, I mean, they're often excluded because they're seen as a liability and they don't want to, you know, jeopardize kind of like the larger goal or the larger objectives that they're trying to achieve. Um, but from your remarks, from what I've heard you say so far, this isn't an option for you. It may not be an option for the committee just to say, we're just going to dump Arab studies because that'll just undermine the whole purpose of ethnic studies. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about about that, you know, that, that kind of idea of what, you know, what it means to you as Chicana um, to, you know, to include, to keep, you know, like deliberately keep Arab studies included in the model curriculum. Again, when you talk about ethnic studies being um, a discipline that is raised out of struggle, out of decolonial project, um, anti-racist struggle, um, it, that doesn't mean it's just for your own people. Right. And, and it was never, um, even before the pushback, when we sat in the, um, the advisory committee um, and we began to look at what groups had not been um, given sufficient attention um, in the model curriculum, mind you, we were not done um, as an advisory committee. We knew that there was work we still had to do. But one of the things that came up was that we needed more attention um, to um, communities that we had not given enough attention to. And one of them was the Palestinian voice. That was, um, that was not debated on the advisory committee. There was no dissent on the advisory committee. Um, I don't even think we had more than a, a discussion about, well, who's going to develop the lesson plans and how do we put it in there? because there was already a consciousness among those folks who had been doing this work for so long that there's an element of solidarity within this um, work. We even included a lesson plan on Palestine and Mexico because of the, the um, struggle in the Southwest and, um, and, um, and issues related to settler colonialism. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that this uh, latest phase of my life, I think I have never been um, someone that would consider herself uh, um, an activist for Palestinian rights. I think I always had it in my heart and I knew intellectually what it meant, but um, this pushback, this right-wing agenda 
um, this um, effort to silence your voices um, really has uh, cemented uh, my solidarity for, um, for the Palestinian community. And I think that that's happened for a lot of the non-Arab, uh, non-Palestinian folks within the Model Curriculum Advisory Committee, as well as ethnic studies activists. Laura, do you, um, what's your reaction to, to Professor Montano's statement? You know, it, it, for me, her statement and her solidarity and that spirit of it is really rooted in the tradition of ethnic studies. This is what ethnic studies was about. It was about struggles of people against oppression and colonialism and building solidarity across communities. And while on the one hand, this attack on ethnic studies and on Arab American lesson plans in Palestine you know, has been a stark reminder for all Arabs and Palestinians, the uphill battle we face here in this country as it relates to U.S. foreign policy, but also as it relates to the Zionist institutions and their pressures domestically on decision makers. Um, the flip side of that is that we have seen a, um, an, you know, an outpouring of solidarity, a commitment to including Arab American lessons in Palestine. If anyone attended any of the hearings that have happened um, with the California Department of Education on this topic, you heard communities from all, you know, from all communities coming out and saying, we want ethnic studies, we are defending ethnic studies, and we are defending and wanting the inclusion of Arab American lesson plans in Palestine, because that is ethnic studies. I think it's a beautiful testament to what ethnic studies is. Early on, when we faced um, some of the backlash from the right-wing groups to this curriculum, decision makers were then, you know, asking us, how does Arab American studies fit into ethnic studies? You know, can you explain, can you make your case? Because they started to doubt that we actually had a place in the discipline. And we got a letter from the Third World Liberation Front and Black Student Union veterans from San Francisco State University and Berkeley from 1968, who started ethnic studies, who were those student strikers. And they collectively drafted a statement and signed on saying, that is what ethnic studies is, advancing the conversations around anti-colonialism, around Palestine, around Arab American experience in this country. Um, I think that's really what the overall like takeaway is, is that the more backlash there is, the more solidarity that also gets built because it exposes um, who our opposition really is. It exposes apartheid Israel. I mean, the fact that pro-Israeli interest groups are at the forefront of attacking ethnic studies speaks to what the nature of apartheid Israel is really about, the state of Israel is about, the interest of settler colonialism uh, back home in our homeland in Palestine, but also how it intersects and relates to settler colonialism of this country. And with this assault on ethnic studies and developing an ethnic studies program, what does this mean for Californian youth? What does it mean to first have uh, racialized populations be represented in the curriculum? And what are the ramifications of this absence? Our youth program came out with a report earlier this year that actually um, documented and surveyed representation of Arab Americans in high school curriculum. And the findings, even for us, were shocking. Um, so, you know, less than 5% of people learned about Arab Americans in their classroom, and most learned about it through the internet or social media. Um, so for us, the idea that there would be a curriculum shared with the rest of the state around how to teach Arab American studies was a huge opening for our young folks to see themselves as part of society, to see themselves celebrated, um, and to really roll back some of the systemic oppression and racialization they're feeling in the classroom and in society. 
and as you probably, you know, many people who've come forward, including our young people, have said in, in the hearings that ethnic studies saved their lives, literally saved their lives in a country where they're otherwise disenfranchised, invisibilized, hypervisibilized, showing them as criminals or, um, or enemy combatants. You know, that the fact that ethnic studies celebrates them and their struggles for social change and their contributions to a better world and what's made what can be made possible actually saves people's lives. So stripping that from young people has a serious impact on, on students, life, especially at a time of heightened racism, Islamophobia, v- police violence. I mean, this is the time where we should be advancing ethnic studies, not gutting it and ceding to political interest groups. We want to wrap up with just like maybe one or two more questions about the road ahead. Like, where do we go from here? Like, what are the next steps? Well, I I think, you know, while we do live in the Trump era, we also live in the Black Lives Matter era. And I and and while um, what the governor did um, gives me pause, uh, the youth today give me hope. And I don't think they're going to go back to a time when there was no ethnic studies or no call for ethnic studies. So we're gonna move this agenda. We're committed to it. Um, you know, you don't legislate everything. Um, someone, a student once told me recently, you know, you don't legislate the revolution, you know, profit. Um, and so, you know, the thing is, is that I know that there are legislators that are ready to move a bill forward, both for K-12 and for the community college, so that gives me hope. But I also know that district by district, um, school boards are passing ethnic studies as a graduation requirement. So our work isn't done um, by any stretch of the imagination. We're gonna continue this work. We struggled for 50 years. You know, we can struggle for another five until we get the ethnic studies bill, but we're not giving up 76%. I, I was saying this to someone else, there are more of us than there are of them. 70% of this of this state is um, students of color, students from racialized communities. They will not give up until they see themselves included in the curriculum. And there's also, we're mobilizing to the November 18th um, Instructional Quality Commission meeting um, with the California Department of Education. You know, CDE still has the opportunity to do right by its communities of color here in, in, this, in California and to make good on their promises to have a robust ethnic studies curriculum shared out with the state that is centered around the principles and values of ethnic studies and includes Arab American lesson plans. And so we're waiting to see what the results of um, their work and edits and revisions will be. And we are planning on having our communities turn out on November 18th for that meeting to ensure that you know, the ethnic studies model curriculum is reflective of the struggles for ethnic studies for the last 50 years and does good to our communities. And and so just like that, as I said, that's one part of the struggle. And we are going to continue to work locally, you know, district by district to make sure that our teachers are equipped with what they need to be able to advance ethnic studies in the classroom. up this episode of Who Belongs. Thank you to our guests, Laura Kiswani, Executive Director of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center based in San Francisco, and Teresa Montano, Professor of Chicana and Chicano Studies at California State University, Northridge, for taking us through their efforts and the obstacles they've encountered to adopt an ethnic studies curriculum for California. 
For links to resources related to the issues discussed on this podcast, visit us online at belonging.berkeley.edu slash who belongs. This has been Irfan Marathi. And this has been Mark Abizade. Thank you for listening.